Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, True Religion. Please turn to Revelation chapter 17, and the title of the message today is True Religion. True Religion. Revelation 17. As you turn to Revelation 17, we're also excited about our outreach, uh, Trunk or Treat, and there will be a trunk outside. You probably already saw it when you're coming in, and the church will provide the candy. It's exciting because we, we literally have over a 1,000 people, uh, most of whom we think are unchurched, that come uh, to this fun event for their kids. Of course, we do not endorse dressing up like witches and goblins and all that kind of nonsense, uh, but we do use it as an outreach to help people come and be exposed to the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to participate in that, and you can see how you can make your trunk right after the service outside by checking out Kim Lundy's trunk. All right, if you found Revelation 17, just say amen. amen. And let's go to the Lord. And so Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people and to study your word. Lord, we remember that you said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. We thank you that uh, our model <clears throat> is to follow the, the example of the first century church. And those early Christians, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. And now we are going to dive into the apostle John's teaching in Revelation, how you shared with him about how the world will end. And so, Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you. And so we ask that you'll come and you'll illuminate your word and that you'll help us to understand what you're trying to say to us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. All right, well, last week, if you were here, we learned about the seven bold judgments, the final labor pains of the tribulation period. And if you remember, that seventh and last bold judgment will be uh, the worst earthquake in history, the mother of all earthquakes. It's going to cause islands uh, to sink and uh, cities to crumble and mountains to fall down. And at that time, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, the sun is going to be darkened, the moon's going to uh, look like blood, the meteors are going to fall from the sky, the sky's going to recede, and then the Son of Man will come in power and in great glory. And so the second coming of Christ, taught, by the way, in Revelation 19, but we're in Revelation 17. And so we have to, over the next two weeks, study chapter 17 and 18 before we get to the second coming. And so in these next two chapters, you need to know that the Lord is gonna show us how he is going to destroy something that he despises. And of course, if you've read the chapter, that is Babylon the Great. Now, before we get into verse one, um, as uh, Ricky would tell Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Uh, I got a lot of splaining to do. So I have a lengthy introduction uh, before we actually get into verse one. And I want to start by saying this. The city of Babylon was one of the most famous cities of the ancient world, 
and its ruins, because it doesn't exist right now, its ruins can be found about 55 miles south of Baghdad, Iraq. And so um, when we see the name Babylon the Great, specifically in <clears throat> chapter 17, it's not talking about that literal city of Babylon. It's talking about something um, that's called a mystery. And so what you need to know also is that this chapter is filled with metaphors, filled with symbolic language. We believe with all of our hearts in what's known as the historical, grammatical, contextual interpretation of the Word of God. We reject the allegorical uh, interpretation of the Word of God. But even though we believe in the literal translation or interpretation of the Word of God, that does not mean that we do away with metaphors or we ignore them. Because we believe, please listen to this, we believe that behind every figure of speech in the scriptures, behind every metaphor, there is a literal truth or entity. For example, in Revelation 17, John sees a great harlot, that's obviously a metaphor, that is sitting on many waters. Again, that's obviously a metaphor, but behind those two metaphors, a great prostitute and many waters, there is little truth that we'll show you here in a little while. <clears throat> the name of this prostitute is very intriguing. Look at um, verse five on the screen there. Here's her name. Mystery, everybody say mystery. Mystery, mystery Babylon the Great. The mother, don't miss that, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. It's clear from this title that we're not talking about a literal Babylon in chapter 17. We're talking about mystery Babylon. And you got to get what I'm going to say right now or you're going to be lost the rest of the message. So if you're with me, say amen here. Amen. All right. And so Mystery Babylon, that takes us all the, all the way back to the mystery religions that started in Babylon, specifically the Tower of Babel. Mystery religions, false religious systems started at Babel. And as you go throughout history, permeated many ancient civilizations continued on into the history of the church and will continue into the tribulation period, the last seven years of history as we know it. All false religious systems can be traced back to the Tower of Babel 2,200 years before Christ. And so after the great flood, God, by the way, the one and only true God, the God of the Bible, his name is Yahweh, and there is no other. And that God said to Noah and his boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth in Genesis 9-1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He said that to Noah. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah was a man of God. Noah, it says in Genesis 6-9, walked with God. What God? Yahweh the one and only true God of the Bible, the one and only true God in reality. He walked with God. What does that mean? That means that he had a personal relationship. Please say personal relationship. Personal relationship. Noah had a personal relationship with the one true God. And it wasn't 
based on any false religious system of works. Noah's relationship with God was based on God's grace and his simple faith. And God wanted this relationship with him to spread across the entire world. And that's one of the reasons he told Noah and his three boys, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But how many of you guys know there's a devil? And he's always trying to get in there and confuse things and mess things up. And so as you continue to read in Genesis, just the opposite occurred. God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Just the opposite occurred. You see, Noah had a son named Ham. And Ham had a son named Cush. And Cush had a son named Nimrod. And Nimrod did not walk with the Lord. He was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty builder. He built cities, one of them called the city of Babel. His name means rebellion, and that's exactly what the people of his day did. They rebelled against God. You see, in that time, everybody on the earth had one language, and the people came together, and in Genesis 11:4, they said this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That is exactly the opposite of what God told them to do. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But instead of glorifying God, they glorified themselves. They said, let's get together. Let's make this tower that goes all the way up into the heavens. Hey, let's make a name, not for the Lord, no. Let's make a name for ourselves. It's very interesting. Um, Josephus, who was an ancient Jewish historian, he said this about Nimrod. He said that Nimrod, quote, said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach. In Nimrod's heart, according to Josephus, man, I'm gonna, if God ever decides to, to kill my ancestors again, if God ever decides to flood this earth, I'm, I'm gonna show God I'm gonna build a tower all the way up into the heavens and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Josephus goes, goes on to say about Nimrod that Nimrod persuaded his subjects not to ascribe their strength to God as if it were through his means they could be happy, but to believe that it was their own courage that procured, procured their happiness. And so in response to this pride, in response to this rebellion, you guys know what the Lord did? He went down and he confused their Language. The word babble literally means confusion. And now all of a sudden, people are at the work site building the Tower of Babel, and all of a sudden, they're talking in one language, but then all of a sudden, like, this guy's got a different language, and this guy's got a different language, and they can't communicate to one another, so they stopped the project, and they went their separate ways. And by the way, God got his will done in the end. <laughs> they went around and they filled the earth. The problem is they didn't take with them the simple faith of Noah. 
they took with them a false religious system. In ancient times, it was common for pagans to build religious structures that were called or are called ziggurats. All right, so ziggurats were ancient temples. They were built with sun-dried bricks, and they were used to worship various pagan deities. Apparently, the Tower of Babel was a forerunner to these ziggurats. And the Tower of Babel has come to be known, among other things, as a picture of this. If you're taking notes, the Tower of Babel is a picture of man trying to gain access into heaven by his what? And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, will damn your soul. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is false religion. It's just the opposite of the true religion. I'll call it true religion for the, for the purposes of the message today. It's just the opposite of the true religion of Noah, of Enoch, before Noah. Enoch walked with God and was not. And of Noah, and Noah's later descendant. Remember Abraham? Do you guys remember Abraham? Please say yes if you remember Abraham. Man, you're just leaving me hanging here. <laughs> Abraham did not or was not accepted by God by his works. No, God took him out and said, look at the stars of the sky. Count them if you can. So will your descendants be. And then the Bible says in Genesis 15, 15 6, that Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That is the only way anybody has ever gotten saved. Old covenant, new covenant, whatever dispensation you're talking about. And Paul reiterated that truth in Romans chapter 4, where he differentiates between false religion and true religion. Okay, so if you're taking notes, what's the difference between false religion and true religion? False religion is man reaching up to God with his works. And true religion is God reaching down to man by his grace. That right there is worth the price of admission. That right there is one of the most important truths you will ever learn or be reminded of in your entire life. Right there, that truth right there will echo billions of years into the future and into eternity. Right there. Don't miss it. Don't be duped. False religion. Man trying to reach up to God with his good works or whatever. True religion. Man's a sinner in need of salvation. And so God has to initiate. God reaches down by his grace. You see, that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham was a idol worshiper. He's going his way, own way, doing his own thing, and all of a sudden what happened was Abraham reaching up to the true God, Yahweh? No, the true God, Yahweh, reached down to him by his grace. God, the Lord, initiated the relationship. He revealed himself to Abraham. And then how did Abraham respond to God's grace? He believed the Lord. He put his faith, his trust in the one true God. 
And that's why you always hear me say, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Man, if you're here today and you think all religions are legit, if you're here today and you think, oh man, there's many ways into heaven, you more than anybody need this message. There's one way. Please say one way. It's Jesus Christ, period, period, it's him. And so throughout history, we see two streams of religion, false religion based in Babel, the mother of harlots, mysterious religious systems of works trying to earn your way to God, and true religion that's birthed by God's grace in the hearts of people of faith, people like Abraham, David, Peter, and Paul. So what we have in chapter 17 is the final form of false religion on the earth during the tribulation period, the last seven years of history as we know it. Everybody, please look at me. Again, it started in Babel. She's the mother. And this false, mysterious, religious system of works permeated many ancient cultures. It continued on into the last 2,000 years, and it will absolutely explode and be on the earth during the tribulation period. And now we're ready for verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the who? Great harlot, great prostitute. Does anybody have the King James Version? I think there's a curse word in that version, but anyway. <laughs> Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Okay, what does this great prostitute represent? Okay, great prostitute, that's the metaphor. What's the literal truth behind the metaphor? It's the false religious system of the last days. Why is she called a prostitute? because she's gonna lead people into spiritual adultery against the one true God. That's why. And so after the rapture of the true church, millions of religious people are gonna be left behind to face the horrors of the tribulation period. After the rapture of the church, Millions of people who went through religious motions but never had a personal relationship with God through Christ. They will be left behind. These people will be part of a religious system that can trace its roots all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Now how influential will this religious system be? Look at the end of verse one. It says that she is seated on many waters. What in the world does that mean? The metaphor, many waters, what's the literal truth behind it? That means the nations of the world. You say, how do you know that? Because I use the Bible to interpret the Bible, that's why. And so look at verse 15. Let the Bible interpret that for you. Chapter 17, verse 15, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and what? 
nations and languages. And so, so this prostitute, this religious system, is sitting on the nations of the world. That's pretty prominent. Look at verse two. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And so this future religious system is going to lure the leaders of the earth and they're going to get in bed with the prostitute. What does that mean? That means that the, the leaders of the earth they are actually going to merge or become part of this church, quote unquote, this religious system, quote unquote. What you have here in the Bible, once again, is an unwholesome union of the quote unquote church, religious system, with the state coming together once again as political leaders use the global religion to advance their political aspirations. But it's not just gonna be the leaders that are lured um, by this great prostitute. It says there, um, it continues to say there at the end of verse two that those who dwell on the earth are gonna be drunk with her wine or her false teachings. And so why in the world will so many people turn to this religious system during the tribulation period? Well, it's the same reason the Sunday after 9-11, churches were filled to capacity. You guys remember that? I was an associate pastor at the time in another church, and I think that was the biggest Sunday we ever had, the Sunday after 9-11. And so during the tribulation period, there are judgments, there's cataclysmic events that are coming down upon the world like no other time before, and this is causing many people to turn to religion. The sad part about it, it's a false religion that they're turning to. Verse three. And he carried me away in the spirit and into a wilderness. John just continues to have one apocalyptic vision after another throughout this entire book of Revelation. Here's the next one. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and by the way, that's what religion will do for you. False religious systems, they won't give you the peace that surpasses understanding. They won't give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. They'll make your soul like a barren wilderness. And John is taken out to the wilderness and he sees a woman sitting on a, what kind of beast? Scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns, okay? And so this is the exact same beast from Revelation chapter 13, verse one. Who's the beast? You guys know this, right? I don't have to re-preach the sermon, right? The beast is the Antichrist, the coming global dictator of the world and his government. Both chapter 13, verse one and chapter 17, verse three, say that the beast has seven heads and 10 horns. Again, I'm not gonna re-preach the sermon, but you remember when we were in chapter 13, the seven heads represent seven successive Gentile empires that have persecuted God's people Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The true religion that flowed Abraham, 
through Isaac, to Jacob, to the 12 tribes, to the nation of Israel? What are the seven successive Gentile empires that persecuted God's people, Israel? Well, it started with Egypt and Moses in 1500 or so BC. And then later on in history, it was Assyria. And then after that, um, it was Babylon, and then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and then the Roman Empire. And it will be, in the future, the revived Roman Empire of the tribulation period. That's the seven heads. Seven heads, 10 horns. I'm not gonna re-preach the sermon. You guys remember the 10 horns stand for 10 kings or 10 kingdoms. It is a future 10-nation confederation, otherwise known as the revived revised Roman Empire. Now the woman, notice this, is riding on this beast. She's on top and she's riding. What does that mean? If you're taking notes, that means that the Antichrist and his government, the beast, will initially support the prostitute on its back. Does this make sense to you guys? So the global government in the future is going to support the global religion in the future. What you need to know, and I've got to stand over here and move left because we all know that liberals are left. Or maybe I should do this and go your left. But as we move closer and closer to the tribulation period. Again, no one knows the day or the hour. But as we get closer to the final seven years of history as we know it, here's what you need to know. There'll be less and less of an emphasis on nationalism and patriotism and more and more of an emphasis on globalism. Politically, economically, religiously. Less as the world moves left less and less of an emphasis on nationalism and patriotism. What does that mean? A billion things. But what that means is that more and more people during the national anthem are gonna sit down and disrespect our flag. And a less of an emphasis on patriotism, more of an emphasis on globalism. And let me just say this, and these remarks are free, they're not in my notes. But ladies and gentlemen, do you know who should be ticked off more than any group in the world? The church, you know why? Because of the slaughter of millions of babies through abortion. But you know what I've never seen? I've never seen a Christian sit down and disrespect our flag because they have a gripe against abortion. I've seen them protest in other times, but not during the national anthem. And so what are you saying, Pastor Mike? What I'm saying is that, yeah, you have the freedom to express yourself however you want. But would you please, if you're an American, respect the men and women who gave their lives so that you could have that freedom? Hey, you may have gripes. You may have legitimate complaints. Protest on your own time, not at that time. And so, hey, if you want to send me an email, send it to Lee Holly <laughs> at calvarypsl.org.
Look at verse 4. I, I tell you, man, I have a father who gave 22 years of his life to serve this country. I have, a, I have a dad. I have a dad who's buried. I got to do his funeral at Arlington National Cemetery. Don't disrespect our flag. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. She's so fancy. And she's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And holding in her hand is a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Again, metaphorical language, but there's literal truth behind the metaphor. The metaphor is she's arrayed in purple and scarlet and she's adorned with beautiful jewelry. That's the metaphor. What's the literal truth behind that? That the one world religious system of the last days will be well-funded and very prominent. And in her golden cup will be the impurities of her sexual immorality. What does that mean? That means that she's going to lead people away from the true teachings of the word of God into some type of false religious system that's called spiritual adultery. Look at verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. Mother of prostitutes. So it all started at the Tower of Babel. She's the mother. Mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw, this is so interesting, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And so all false religious systems since the Tower of Babel have persecuted and slaughtered God's true people. Why? They hate us. They hate the teaching that salvation, that there's only one God, number one. They hate the teaching that there's only one way to the one God, and that's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. They hate the, when people say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Why? Because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the Lord but they'd rather build a religious system of works to reach up to God and say, look at us. And so all the way through, down through history, whether it's the Egyptians persecuting, uh, later the Assyrians, later the Babylonians, later on um, the Medo-Persians or the Greeks or the Romans, the Roman Empire, hey, all of them slaughtered God's people. And even into church history, you see, after Messiah came and revealed himself, okay, and then the church was born in Acts chapter 2, what you need to know is that for the two, first 200 years or so of church history, the Roman Empire slaughtered believers like you and me. By the way, we have it so made in the United States of America. We can gather together in a group like this and worship God in spirit and truth and have these freedoms. If we lived in the first or second century, they'd throw us to the lions. But all that ended in AD 313 with the Edict of Milan. Do you remember Emperor Constantine? He comes along, and what does he do? He marries the church with the state. And now he says, hey, all Christians have to be tolerated throughout the Roman Empire. 
But you need to know that the slaughter of God's people continued. Have you ever heard of the Inquisitions? An article from gotquestions.org, which is an amazing website if you have questions. What are the Inquisitions? Quote, prior to the founding of the Roman Catholic Church and the establishment of their version of Christianity as the official state religion of the Roman Empire in the fourth century, the punishment for heresy among Christians was usually excommunication from the church. Okay, so if you're a heretic, you don't believe um, what's being taught by the church, you're excommunicated, okay. However, with the marriage of the church and the state that arose in the fourth century, people that the Roman Catholic Church considered to be heretics also came to be considered as enemies of the state. And they were subject to many forms of extreme punishment, including death. It wasn't until the 12th century that official inquisitions were organized and sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church to officially deal with what they saw as a rise in organized heretical groups within the Holy Roman Empire. In 1252, Pope Innocent IV, he wasn't innocent, officially sanctioned torture as a way of extracting the truth from subjects. During the Spanish Inquisition alone, as many as 2,000 people were burned at the stake within one decade after the Inquisition began. And of course, the article goes on and on. That just barely scratches the surface of the horrors of the Inquisitions. What are the Inquisitions? They are the ju judicial tribunals that were established by the Roman Catholic Church, by the way, in conjunction with the state, because in those days, church and state were one, in order to seek out, try, and sentence people that they believed to be guilty of heresy. The slaughter continued into church history. That's just the facts. Now, there's so much more that I could say, but I have 40 minutes. And so, uh, if you want more information about the Roman Catholic Church, go to gotquestions.org, type in what is the origin of the Roman Catholic Church? And you can read the facts. And I just encourage you to face the facts. See, the question that that article tries to um, answer is this. As the church and the state came together after Constantine, what did they do? They tried to draw in pagans from various pagan religious systems. And so in the, in the church's um, quest to Christianize paganism, did they actually paganize Christianity? I'll let you read the article and you can come to your own conclusion. John sees that the woman is drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. He's shocked. And it says now in verse seven, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I tell you, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and the seven heads and 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, okay, this goes a little deeper, so we're getting definitely into the meat of the word here. So you gotta really pay attention. Verse eight, the beast that you saw 
was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world are gonna marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And so these verses correspond with Revelation 13, 3. I'm not gonna re-preach the sermon, but you guys remember this? One of its heads, the its there is the Antichrist, the coming world dictator. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And so what's gonna happen is around the midpoint of the tribulation period, this one world dictator is going to obtain a mortal wound and that he's going to die, and then probably through the power of, of well, definitely by the power of Satan, maybe through the false prophet, he's gonna be raised to life. What does that sound like? Die, and then raised to life. His spirit, he's gonna die, his spirit, as it says, is gonna rise out of the bottomless pit, and then he's gonna come back to life again. It's a parody of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what do you think the world's gonna do when they see that? He's the Messiah, he's the Christ. He's actually the false Christ of the first seal, imitating the true Christ. Now, some commentators that I read say he's gonna fake his death and uh, fake his death and resurrection. I, I think the guy's actually gonna die and he's gonna come back to life. And the reason I believe that is because Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 12, that the coming of the Antichrist is within the power and the activity of Satan. How many of you guys understand that Satan can do miracles? And that's gonna happen more than ever during the crazy time of the tribulation period, and God is going to permit it to happen. Look at verse nine now. Okay, we're going deeper. You gotta pay attention even closer. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven, what's the word? Mountains, not literal mountains. That's a metaphor. The literal truth behind that, Daniel 2.35, is kingdoms. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven kingdoms. He's just repeating what he already said. On which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Kings have to rule over kingdoms, right? Five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. And so what are the seven mountains that the woman sits on? They are the seven kings or kingdoms. John wrote this in AD 95. And so when John wrote this in AD 95, five of the kingdoms had already fallen. One was current and one was still to come. And so if you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? I'll try to make it very clear on the screen. And so you can see, you now students, here's your test. John AD 95 writing Revelation, what number would John be at? Number what? Six, very good, two A's for the front row and the back row. All right, so everybody look at number six, that's the Roman Empire. It's AD 95, and the Lord says to John, five of those kingdoms have already fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. All of them persecuted God's people, by the way. One is, that's the Roman Empire, and one will be in the future, that is the revived Roman Empire in the future. 
And by the way, the woman sits on all those. Who's the woman? The false religious system of the, of the last days that started in Babel. What is she doing? She's sitting on all these kingdoms. What does that mean? That it started in Babel, this whole mystery works-based religion. Started in Babel and it permeated Egypt, permeated Assyria, permeated Babylon, permeated Medo-Persia and Greeks and Roman Empire and it will permeate the revived Roman Empire during the tribulation period. Verse 11 says, as for the beast, there's the Antichrist, that was, he was alive and is not, he died. It is an eighth but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. Okay, once again, we put up our key, but we add a number eight, that is the Antichrist. And if you think this verse is hard to interpret, <laughs> you're right. Okay, so everybody, I'm gonna do the best I can with, by the way, the help of my friends, which are some great Bible commentators. But look at verse 11 and I'll explain it. Okay, everybody, everybody look at 11. If you're looking at 11, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. As for the beast that was, he was alive during the first half of the tribulation, ruling over the seventh empire, and is not, he will die at the midpoint of the tribulation. He is an eighth. That means after he comes back to life, the 10 nations are gonna give their power to him. He's gonna be a one world dictator. But he belongs to the seven. He's just in a long line of Gentile rulers that have always persecuted the people of God. And he goes to destruction. He will be thrown into the lake of fire in later chapters of Revelation. Does that make sense to you guys? Look at verse 12. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power in AD 95, but they are to receive authority as kings during the tribulation. For one hour, that means briefly, together with the beast. This is just the 10 nation confederation. Verse 13, these are of one mind, all 10 of these nations that are coming together in the future, and they will hand over their power and authority to the Antichrist, the beast. So at some point, probably after he rises from the dead, they're like, man, you have all of our authority. Verse 14, they, these 10 nations, are gonna make war on the lamb. Who's the lamb? Shout out his name. And the lamb will conquer them, praise God. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And so during the battle of Armageddon, when, when these 10 nations, the armies of these 10 nations gather in the valley of Megiddo, they're gonna see the son of man. He's coming back in power and great glory. And what are they gonna be saying in their hearts, these rulers of these 10 nations? Get out of here. This is our world. You're cramping our style. We don't want you, Jesus. We want the world for ourselves, you know? Fire, boom, 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 boom. How do you think that's gonna go down? It's nothing for the Lord. And we'll see that in Revelation 19 as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords destroys these armies. Verse 15, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So this religious system of the end days, it's all over the world, it's global. Verse 16, and the 10 horns that you saw they and the beast will, this is, this is the twist in the story right here. They're gonna hate the prostitute 
right? You know, like, get off my back. And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And so the 10-nation confederation along with the Antichrist will turn on this religious system and they will destroy the mother of all harlots, the mysterious religious system of works that's going on during the tribulation period. When do you think, Pastor Mike, this is gonna happen? At the midpoint? Why do you say that? Because at the midpoint, the Antichrist marches into the rebuilt temple. He sets up an image of himself. He says, I am God. So hey, all you religious people, that whole one world religion, that's done, kill her, worship me. And then the Lord says, you got 42 months, buddy, and I'm coming back to get you. And so we continue on now in verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts, these 10 nations, to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is that great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And so everybody look at the screen. The Antichrist will destroy the false religious system, most likely around the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, please stay with me all the way to the end. But in closing, let me say this. Over 2,200 years before Christ, the people all came together and they said this in rebellion to God, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. You know, forget Noah and his personal relationship with God. Forget the true religion. Let's create a mysterious religious system. We can reach heaven that way. So what's the difference between true religion and false religion? Once again, your last point, false religion is man reaching up to God through his works. True religion is God reaching down to man in his grace. And that's why you always hear me say, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in who? Christ alone. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that you can earn your way to heaven by something that you do, here's what you're saying. You're saying that Jesus, your death on the cross, I've gotta do something. Your death on the cross was not sufficient. You see that? If you, if you, if you understand that, could you please say amen? Amen. All right? So every time you say, I gotta do something, okay? So if it's a religious system that says, hey, you're justified by your works, false. You're saying, Jesus, you're not sufficient. If you have a religious system that says, hey, um, you're justified by faith, but then you gotta hustle and you gotta work really hard in order to keep your salvation. You gotta do this and this and this, and hopefully when you die, maybe then you'll make it. It's false. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do you have a personal relationship, not religion, a 
personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you're not sure, he's a prayer away. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, that's a promise, you will be saved. Not, well, if I do enough works, hopefully I'll be saved. No, you will be saved, why? Because the blood of Christ is powerful. It'll wash all your sins away. It's only him. So I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come on forward and be available for prayer. If anyone needs prayer as the congregation is dismissed, you can come up and you can receive that prayer confidentially from any of these people. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever you're going through, you can receive that prayer. Most important thing, and by the way, this happened last week and it happened first service. If you're here today and you don't know where you stand with the Lord, as everyone's leaving, you come up too. I'm gonna to be up here, others are gonna be up here, and just say, hey, I, I don't know. And we can share with you how you can have that personal relationship with Christ. It's your choice. And so if we could all stand for closing prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you for the, the heritage of Calvary Chapel, Lord, that goes through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and doesn't skip it, doesn't skip anything, even the hard passages. Today's been a hard passage, Lord. We can't skip it, we can't ignore it, we gotta deal with it. And so help us, Lord, to rely on you only and never a religion or a system. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us by your grace through your son, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.